Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. Turn with me to John chapter 20. It's good to see you here this morning. Here in John chapter 20, we've been studying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to read for you in 1 Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is really a um, theological understanding of the resurrection where what, what we've been studying in John is, is a historical account of the resurrection. Though, of course, there's theology in all of the Bible. Um, 1 Corinthians really provides um, some understanding of the implication of what will happen if we don't believe in Jesus Christ's resurrection. In verse 12, it says, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So right there it teaches us that if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you have no faith. We know that we must have faith in order to be born again. Um, it explains even further, and if Christ is not risen then our preaching is empty your faith is empty yes we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified that God has raised uh, up Christ whom he did not raise up in fact whom he did raise up in fact if the dead do not rise for if the dead do not rise Christ is not risen and if Christ is not risen your faith is empty, your faith is futile, and you remain in your sins. So three things there. If we don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, we have no faith. If we don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, we do not believe in the writers of the Bible. Paul's actually saying that's what we're preaching. If you don't believe it, then you're calling us liars, the apostles. And... Thirdly, if you don't believe that Christ has risen from the dead, your sins still remain on you. The language here is that your, sin, your sins still are, are, are dirty. They have not been cleansed. They have not been washed. The stains of your sins still are on you. Um, that second point, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he is saying, if you're calling us liars, then you can't really believe in anything we say. So you can't come to the scripture and just pick the parts that you like that you believe are filled with wisdom and truth and then throw away everything else 
Because it is the same people that you think are writing wisdom that are writing lies and false teachings and heresy. You really don't, I mean, it's not that um, liars can't say truth sometimes. You know, a broken clock is at least right once a day, twice a day or something like that. And so you, you can do that, but you're not going to find... Um, your main source of wisdom and the main source in which you guide your life uh, from the wisdom of liars. Now, I say that to emphasize this. We can easily become obsessed with people we're interested in who are not Christians. I'm interested in a lot of people who are not Christians. There's a lot of people who are interesting who are not Christians, and I'm not just, I'm not talking about um, you know, Hollywood actors. I'm talking about smart people, psychiatrists, historians. One such histor- or psychiatrist is some, someone that um, many Christians have really become very interested in, so much so that they're obsessed with him, and that's Jordan Peterson. Now, guys, listen, especially men, and, and even women, but... A lot of men are just, they like the way he talks. He's a really smart guy. And on top of that, men particularly like, and, and, and women do too, but women like fighting, or men, <laughs> physical, um, intellectual uh, arguments where we can see, and Jordan Peterson's really good at that, and destroying people like, you know, like Ravi used to destroy people. We'd all be like, oh, And we like him so much that we're like, I think he's saved. He doesn't believe in the resurrection. He doesn't believe in the historical, biblical, literal account of creation. And he's doing all these Bible studies. I see Christians listening to more Jordan Peterson Bible studies than listening to actual preachers give their Bible studies. Be careful of that. Be careful of that. I mean, he doesn't believe in the resurrection. His sins remain on him. This this emphasizes in 1 Corinthians that we can't simply just give some adherence to Jesus Christ and his life and ministry. We must believe in the resurrection for him to be our Lord and for us to be born again. And as we get back to John chapter 20, as we studied last week, when he says to uh, to the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, let me... Re-say this because it's very important. Have you ever been amazed by the deception in the world? The deception you find in the Bible? And don't be so amazed by deception that, that you're so disgusted with others' deception that you haven't considered the possibility of how deceived you and I are this morning. Every one of us are deceived about something. Every one of us. 
Now, as we mature in Christ, as we are sanctified by the truth of his word, as the word immerses us and cleanses us and penetrates us, we're all deceived to some degree, but you look at scripture. You look look at the the crossing of the Red Sea by the Israelites. You guys know the Egyptians, they were chasing them. They wanted to kill God's people. Pharaoh's anger and bitterness and hatred really consumed him. And so that all the million or more people could cross the Red Sea, which would have taken hours and hours, who knows how long, maybe a full day or more, the Lord blocked Egyptians' army with fire. And then when the fire's lifted, they can see that the, the last people are getting over to the other side. And instead of the Egyptians stopping and being like, you know what? Not only have we been stopped with fire from heaven, which means God is involved, he's actually parted the Red Sea. So let's just stop for a moment and consider that uh, maybe we ought not to pursue this hatred and violence towards the Israelites, towards God's people. None of that happens. As soon as it's lifted, they go off, and you know the story. God brings the waters over the, the army of the Egyptians. What kind of deception would it take for somebody to do such a thing? I mean, I've often thought, was there not one of them, 10 of them, 50 of them out of the hundreds or thousands that were chasing that said, you know what, you guys, go ahead, I'm out of this one, and walk back to Egypt. Deception is so powerful and real, and I have honestly been amazed, and I'm not just trying to pick on others myself, but especially the ignorance of those who profess Christianity throughout the world. The large percentage, the larger percentage, I should say, of Protestants around the world, I don't even know the Catholic statistics, they gotta be worse than the Protestants if I know Catholics, which I do. The the percentage of Protestants that believe in the resurrection are smaller than the percentage of Protestants that do not believe in the resurrection, that do believe in the resurrection. There are more people who go to church, evangelical churches around the world, who do not believe in the resurrection of Christ than who do. That's an amazing thing. And it says it right here in Scripture that if you don't believe your sins remain on you, you're calling the New Testament writers liars and the Old Testament writers for them. Uh, you, and, you, and on top of that, you can't even be born again, Romans 10, if you believe, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The, 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 that's the positive That's the positive scripture of being born again. This negative is if you don't believe, your sins remain on you. You're going to die the second death, as the Bible calls it. That's after your physical death, you will die a second death, eternally separated from God. This is very important. Now, what's amazing, and I say all that to say, 
the deception, people generally think, in my experience, that it's prideful to claim your assurance of salvation in Christ. Go up to any, go up to uh, 10 people this week. Say, if you die today, will you go to heaven? You will find, I would bet, and I'm not a betting man on Sundays, you would bet that the larger percentage of them will say, oh, I, I hope, I hope, I believe in Jesus. Even if they're Christian, I believe, I hope. I'm really, I'm really counting on me being there. I just, I don't know for sure. It's almost like they believe it's a prideful thing. Oh yeah, I'm going to heaven for sure. And then right here it says that we have the authority, the apostles do, and disciples of Christ, believers in his word, students of the word to say, if you believe on Christ and, and believe that he rose from the dead, your sins are forgiven you. You're going to heaven. 100% assurance. People think it's prideful. They think it's prideful because they're deceived or, or uh, another possibility. They're just ignorant. They don't know their Bibles. Also, people think it's rude and harsh to say, if you do not believe on Christ, your sins remain on you. They're retained. They're on you. You're going to hell. You guys, I get that Christendom is trying to be uh, gracious at funerals, but man, really funerals make liars of all of us, right? <laughs> oh yeah, they believed in the Lord. They were drunk right up until the time they died. They believed in the Lord. Now, Somebody who's been drunk even many times can go to heaven and be born again, but a drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The difference is that habitual sin, that continuation without repentance. Now, I'm not saying the preacher needs to get up in a funeral and make sure that everybody knows that that person being buried is in hell. I'm not saying that's the most tactful approach. Just so you all know, hell. <laughs> I'm not saying we do that, but we certainly don't lie. As If you're a minister, you're going to preach at a funeral. For sure, we don't know the grace of God, and I believe they're in heaven because God is gracious. No, no, no. That's not how it works. The fruit of repentance, a life that is uh, said, and we're going to study that today, that Jesus is Lord. He is God. He is their God. And, th and that, that produces fruit. Then we have the assurance. But we need to stop lying at funerals. Well, we never know. Right up until their last breath. Nope, no, I was there for the last breath. They still did not love Jesus. So, so, so don't sit, I, 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 I've become more tactful, believe me. When my uh, brother-in-law killed himself, and he's not in hell because he killed himself, that's a Catholic belief and it's a lie. He's in hell because he rejected Jesus till the time he died. Now, I didn't go say that at the funeral, but I kind of implied it. 
<laughs> Listen, guys, he told me just months before his death, I do not need Jesus Christ. Looked at me in the eyes and told me that. And, and so I'm there at this Lutheran church and this sniveling wimp of a minister is running around in this multi-thousand member church like, we'll see him in heaven. <laughs> it bugged me so much, I had to pull him aside. I said, why do you keep telling everybody we're going to see Don in heaven? You're giving false assurances to people that they can live not believing in Jesus in any way and still go to heaven. I mean, so there's, there's no need for the cross. There's no need for redemption. There's no need for justification. Just because God is so loving, everybody goes to heaven. He's, he's, he, he was mad at me. Imagine, I thought I was pretty reasonable. I had told him what Don had said to me. I told him he had no fruit. He's like, well, you know what this Lutheran minister said to me? He became a member of our church before he died. Well, they believe in efficacious grace. You're inducted into some religious ceremony. You become um, a citizen of God's kingdom and uh, your final destination is heaven. This is not true. So people believe ignorantly that it's prideful, like, oh, don't say you're going to heaven, and also on the other side of that, that if you, if you, you talk about hell, and even people who've gone there, you're rude and harsh. Well, that's not the Bible. The Bible says we have the authority to say, if you believe on Christ and his resurrection, you're forgiven, and if you don't, your sins remain on you. You're not a child of God. That's the great commission in John's gospel. We have the different angles of the different gospels. This is the great commission of John's gospel. Go out and tell people if they believe on Christ, they will be forgiven. But also be faithful to do what John's gospel is saying Go out and tell people if they do not, their sins are not forgiven and they remain on them. It's important when you begin to talk about Christ that you find the open door to preach the whole gospel and not only the part of God's love. Yes, he's loving, but his love is conditional. You hear all this unconditional love all the time. God unconditionally loves. It's not true. God does not unconditionally love. His love is conditional that you believe on his son and then you enter the family of God and you become the beloved of God. But when you do not, his love will run out the moment that you die and you will be separated for eternity. No longer will he lavish his love on you. Very important. And we move on in verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. 
So he said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of his nails, and put my finger into the print, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples again were inside, and Thomas with them, Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the believing you may have life in his name. The end of chapter 20. Few, few things here. First of all, they met on Sunday again. They don't necessarily count the way that we do in terms of um, the... the uh, the days that they counted, we would have counted in a way in our calendars and the way we count days, and it would have fallen on Monday. But it says here after eight days. Um, so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday would have fallen on the eighth day. They're meeting again on Sunday. Contrary to Ellen G. White's belief of those who meet on Sunday are worshiping the beast. Um, many Seventh-day Adventists, not all, but many believe that those who meet on Sunday are those who are really essentially honoring the beast, honoring this system of evil or the Antichrist of the world, Satan himself. It's kind of startling how many Seventh-day Adventist churches are in Kenya. It's amazing. And it's not just Kenya. It's amazing how human beings will adopt cults so quickly. And yes, the large part of Seventh-day Adventism is a cult. I don't care if you know a very sweet, nice Seventh-day Adventist. Their doctrine is cultish. It is false doctrine. In fact, that particular woman is from the state of Maine, where my home church is. It's one of the shames of Maine's. I have many friends in Kenya who are Seventh-day Adventists. When I invite them to church on Sunday, they always tell me, this particular one of them who's a friend of mine, his name is Moses, he always says, but I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And I always respond every time, oh good, that means you're free on Sundays. The church has been meeting on Sunday from the very first time, the very day that Jesus rose from the dead. And then they met the following Sunday, the very Sunday we're reading about this morning. And guess what? They met the following Sunday and the following. And we've been meeting every Sunday since the very resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's biblical. 
It's right. This is what we do. This whole um, only meeting on the Sabbath through religions like Seventh-day Adventism or others is an attempt to try to earn favor with God, earn salvation by works. That's the fundamental part of it. They met on Sunday. Very important to note. So guys, you have your word. Anytime you're dealing with, share with people. Guys, listen, the church has been meeting on Sunday for 2,000 years. Paul, Peter, the apostles. Notice here that Jesus offers peace again. He appears in the midst of the room. Also, not only does it solidify the meeting of Sunday by the apostles, but this is Jesus making a statement. This is Jesus. Not showing up again to these disciples until the next Sunday. And he says, peace to you. The same thing that he said before. Peace. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. The message we have is a message of peace if they believe in Jesus Christ. The world does not have peace apart from Christ, but it can have peace with Christ. That is our message. And then we move the subject, the Bible moves the subject to this apostle named Thomas who unfortunately has been labeled Doubting Thomas all of the centuries because of this text, because of one particular time of doubting, which is really unfortunate. Thomas was an amazing apostle. He was a great man of God. He was a missionary. Thomas went to what we know, the continent of Asia. He went to India, and he was a missionary. Um, There's records of people in India, even still, little uh, parts of India who still recognize Saint Thomas, they call him as their father in the faith, the very person who brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And so he went throughout India planting churches, preaching Christ, thousands and thousands of people getting born again until one day he landed in Chennai, which is the northeastern part of India, next to China, not far from China. And this particular prince, this Hindu prince, his wife got born again. She became a radical believer in Christ. And this prince was very angry with Thomas. And one day, um, he's speaking to Thomas. And Thomas uh, is preaching Christ, speaking against the false gods of Hinduism, uh, particularly the main god, they call him Branham or Brana or whatever his name is, her, his energy source. And, and 
he got so angry that when Thomas turned around, he took a spear and he threw it and pierced him in the back and killed Thomas. Thomas becoming one of the martyrs of the church. Very interesting that in order for Thomas to believe in Christ, he needed to see the piercing in the front of Jesus, but the proof of his belief in Christ was a piercing in the back of Thomas. So they met on Sunday. Secondly, Jesus offers peace again. Thirdly, Jesus offers proof. He says, Thomas, you see my hands? Reach your finger here and put your, your fingers in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing, Thomas. Thomas had violated one of the very fundamental laws of Judaism found and given to us in the Old, found in the Old Testament, given to us by God himself, Jesus, that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And so you have all these witnesses, you have the women that we've talked about um, these last few weeks, these wonderful women who love Jesus. You have the disciples who now are gathering on the second Sunday. Jesus uh, comes in their midst and they're telling Thomas, Thomas, hey, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. He's resurrected. They're preaching the gospel to him. Thomas doesn't believe it. He doubts. Thomas is a very analytical, concise person. He wants to see the proof with his own eyes. Now, though he is wrong in doubting the testimony of multiple witnesses, Jesus, our Lord, is still gracious in offering proof. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Put your, put your fingers there, Thomas. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. This teaches that Jesus' body was not some aberration or uh, spirit. He was there physically with his disciples. But it tells us something so much more important than that. It tells us that Jesus is a God who offers us evidence. He offers us evidence. You know, when Ravi Zacharias used to discuss Islam or debate at times Muslims, he would tell us about all of his discussions with Muslims. There was a few things that he would bring up, and there's a few things we need to bring up always with Muslims. One of the most important things, the most important thing, when we discuss um, uh, religion with Muslims is the gospel. And it took me a while to learn this, by the way. I went to every mosque pretty much in Washington, County. Everyone we could find. We went to dozens and dozens, and I shared the gospel with the imams. We even went in a few madrasas without permission and preached, and uh, we got in trouble for that. A few schools. But there's a, you, we always need to preach the gospel. Justification in Christ alone, that's a big deal with Muslims. They believe they can only be justified by their works. Maybe 
They say God, or they call him Allah, which is a false God. Maybe Allah will be merciful. Allah is merciful. They have no idea. Maybe if Allah's having a bad day, that day he can be like, you, 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 you can come. You can't. Don't like you. Go to hell. But it's truly, there's no assurance of salvation. That needs to be preached. But something Ravi always like to bring up is they do not allow for any evidence. They don't allow for any proof of what is true. Now this is very significant because in Islamic belief, truth is passed down orally. It is not passed down with any objective evidence like scripture, like Bible, because they believe the Old and New Testament scriptures, which they do believe is the word of God, has been corrupted. And even the translation of the Quran has been corrupted. You can't even read the Quran in English and have proof of any type of truth claims. So it's those who um, have had the oral tradition passed down, who are scholars who can read Arabic or ancient Hebrew or Greek, who can understand a little bit better. But all of truth depends upon the imams and the prophets to tell us what it is. That is a massive problem with religion. You just depend upon the imam or the prophet or the priest or the bishop or the pastor to tell you what truth is. But you can't really know for yourself because either your ability to understand what is written for a Christian pastor does not exceed the pastor's ability in any way to tell you exactly what truth is or you have some sort of, you don't have any scriptures, you just have to depend on the imam. That is really unfortunate. So essentially in Islam, there's no objective evidence. You cannot know unless you're told what is truth. That's not our Lord. That's not Jesus Christ. He offers the proof to Thomas. He offers the proof through scripture today. It's really, it's really the cause of so many problems in religion. You know, many of the people who come to our church, they love the Bible. Obviously, if you come to our church, you're gonna have to love the Bible. Unless you're just looking for a wife or a husband, then you don't last very long if that's the only reason why you're here. Now, that's a good reason to be here, but it's not the reason to be here, okay? Nothing wrong with wanting a wife or husband in church. It's better than finding them at TMT. But I can tell you this. That you must search the scriptures out for yourself. You guys have, so many people from our church have confronted ministers of the past. So they'll be like, hey, you know, you said this, and the scripture says this, and you know what oftentimes these pastors around here will tell these people? How dare you speak to the man of God? I'm the man of God. I know what God says. 
I know what God is speaking to us. And, and then they'll oftentimes speak of the age of the person who's speaking to them. How dare you speak to me like this? And you can do it in the most nice way, but as soon as you confront a truth claim objectively, what do they refer to? What the Muslims are referring to. That you just believe what they're saying because of who they are, not because of what the Bible says. We must never follow a religion or a church, a, a, a truth or a church, whether it's a Protestant church or not, where the pastor says he is the only one that who can interpret the scripture properly. It's dangerous. Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. There is something called the Lordship Doctrine. It's a doctrine that believes that you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ intellectual, theoretically. You, you kind of acknowledge that Jesus is God, that the scriptures are real, that yeah, you need the cross to be saved, and even believe in the resurrection. And that's all. That's all you need. You know, we, we can't kind of keep a, a record of sin. You just believe and you're saved. Well, there's some truth to that, but that's not the whole truth. The lordship doctrine is a biblical doctrine that, yes, you can believe as the demons do and not be saved because we know demons aren't saved. It says even the devils believe. But Christ must be the Lord of your life. This lordship doctrine is a true doctrine. You can't just simply acknowledge that Jesus is God. He must be your Lord and your God, as Thomas says here. In fact, in Matthew 7, it says this in very strong language. Then even people will call me Lord, Lord, but I'm not their Lord. Because if I was their Lord, they would have done the will of the Father. And only those who do the will of the Father will inherit the kingdom of heaven, Matthew chapter 7 says. So having the theoretical belief is not enough. Jesus must be the boss of your life, the Lord of your life and the master. Notice that Jesus receives worship here. He doesn't correct Thomas. He doesn't say, oh, well, Thomas, no, 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 no. I, I'm not God. I'm an important person, but I'm not God. No, he receives the very statement that he is Thomas is his Lord and he is God himself. So he receives worship. So number one, they met on Sunday. Number two, he offers peace again. Number three, he offers proof. Number four, he receives worship. Lastly, Jesus gives life. This is the purpose statement of John's gospel. The entire gospel of John, this is the purpose. 
And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. We have the seven major miracles of John's gospel, John, uh, Jesus turning water into wine, healing the nobleman's son, elevating the lame man, supper for the 5,000, walking on water, healing of the, 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 uh, the man born blind and Lazarus raised from the dead, and many, many more things. But these signs that are written were written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing we may have life in his name. Life spoken of here is not primarily talking about a location, a destination, heaven. Very important that we understand the life that Jesus offers us is both an eternal bliss and peace in heaven, but a present abundance now. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Sin destroys. Righteousness, Christ, gives life. We often have this idea I know I did when I was young and I really didn't come to understand this till I truly got born again and even after all these years 13 14 years however long I've been saved I understand it more today that Christ did not come just because he knew if he didn't come we would go to hell Hell and heaven speak of a quality of life, not a destination of where we will be in our life. They speak of a quality of life. The ultimate quality of life is in heaven, but we can attain a quality of life now. I used to think growing up, it's like, oh gosh. Believing in Jesus, yes, I I believe. I always believed in Jesus. I never doubted that he was God. I never doubted that I needed to be saved by the cross. I even believed in the resurrection. But I always thought, man, just let me, let me party. Let, let me get drunk. Let me, let me be with all these uh, women and these parties and these clubs. And Because you know what? Yeah, that's true. But man, I want to have fun. I want to have a good time. I want to do what I want to do. I was deceived into thinking that sin could somehow fulfill me. The pleasures of it were so fleeting. I mean, I, I used to think, man, I want to I enjoy my life. Only to end up homeless, filled with idolatry and emptiness. When I got born again, I got a quality of life that was so much greater than the death 
I was experiencing before Christ. If you're in that stage of life here where you're doubting things, you're doubting, you, you maybe you have that same mentality, oh, I just want to enjoy life. I want to go have pleasure. Yes, I'll follow Jesus maybe in a later date. The more sin you involve yourself in, the more your life will be destroyed, damaged. You'll be damaged goods. Christ offers a quality of life, joy, peace that passes understanding. Receive him and enjoy this quality of life spoken of in the scriptures. Lord, thank you for the privilege to to uh, give, Lord. We've purposed in our hearts, some of us, and we ask you to receive it as our loving admiration for you. And we thank you for your word. And we ask that you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 0718 zero one two four nine six that is zero seven one eight zero one two four nine six see you next time